Welcome to Diplomacy, the podcast for communications in mergers and acquisitions, brought to you by Corporate Diplomat. With our guests, we will discuss how the financial, economic, political and social context can actually impact the value created by a transaction. My name is Louis de Schallemer and I will be your host. Marco Izzo, welcome to Diplomacy. Thank you, Louis. Happy to be here today. Marco, you are the Chief Operating Officer of Geneva Capital Group and of the GGI Alliance, a global network of M&A professionals. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having invited me, Louis. Marco, you have a broad entrepreneurial experience, and I'm looking forward to our discussion. To open up, let me ask you my very first question, my traditional question. Who or what has made the person you are today? Well, Louis, I strongly believe that we're the result of the people we surround ourselves with. And I've been lucky enough in my life to having always been surrounded by amazing people who continuously challenge me, whether we're talking about family, friends or colleagues. Also, I had a chance to study abroad for some time after university, and I believe that this experience had a strong impact on my personal and professional life. When you say abroad, which countries? In the US, in Pennsylvania, actually. Nice. <laughs> it was very nice, yeah. Marco, you manage a network of M&A experts globally within the industry. What are the trends you currently observe? Yes, well, Geneva Capital Group, or GCG in short, is a global network of M&A boutique firms and investment bankers present in over 60 locations worldwide. And uh, with a cumulative value of deals closed just shy of 64 billion US dollars. GCG is the M&A unit of a large organization, which you mentioned before, GGI, Global Alliance, which is the leading multidisciplinary association of independent professional service firms, present in 126 countries, of which some 900 offices. Our members worldwide are predominantly sector agnostic, so they're able to support clients with transactions focused on any sector, whilst offering also specific industry expertise in some cases. In my experience, and based on the conversations I've had with our firms, we see that there is a considerable trend towards sustainable investments and also towards integrating ESG factors in the financial evaluation of M&A transactions. So these are actually the key trends that we're seeing right now. How can those advisors make a difference in a transaction? When is the right moment to call an expert that you can do? Well, Louis, there are many factors to take into consideration when thinking about, for instance, selling your own business. Ultimately, the goal for the seller is to obtain the maximum possible value with the least hassle. I can assure you that there are many unwelcome surprises that can come up in the course of a transaction. Evaluating such options also requires, of course, years of experience, especially in the specific sectors that are to be considered in a specific transaction. In my opinion, M&A experts should always be the key reference for entrepreneurs, business owners, and management in order to be sure that such important milestones in a company's life are treated professionally and with the client's best interest in mind. When you have to, a company has to select a new auditor, there is a very formal process of evaluation that the auditors have to go through, and there's a very in-depth process. How can you select a good advisor? How do you build that relationship? Well, yes, it is the same in uh, m and I think it's certainly a competitive market, as there are many firms which offer M&A services. 
One extremely effective way to connect with experts, filmmakers, is to refer to networks such as GCG. And I don't say this just as a promotion to a global network. Our members all over the world support companies and business owners across many different industries, countries, and decisions related to M&A, corporate finance, strategy, and international expansion. And in order to join a network like ours, firms must submit a formal application. They go through a thorough due diligence process, which is aimed at making sure that the firm fits the profile of the typical GCG member in this case, both in terms of cross-border experience and professionalism, and in terms of intangibles, which are paramount in the M&A business. From my experience in, in deals, one of the key aspects of success is trust. Trust among the parties, trust among a team, the deal team. And a deal team is often many experts, as we just said, advisors who come from the outside. And even within a company, the deal team are people you put together. So a deal team is not necessarily a team that has already worked together and they are led to drive a very intense moment within the business. How important is is the trust with a partner among a team in that relationship also with, with the target? How do you see that? Well, I would say that trust is the most important component in a relationship. And I say this having in mind both professional and private relationships, actually. The M&A world is a people business, and advisors need to establish trust with their clients who must feel comfortable in handing such important tasks, like, for instance, the sale of their business over to a third party. And they need to trust that this third party will have their best interest in mind. So it takes time and effort to do so, but that's where pure deal makers are very successful at, because they understand their clients, they establish and cultivate with them a relationship based on trust, and their company then... uh, their clients along the path throughout the whole M&A process. Of course, trust is paramount also within the deal teams when everyone needs to work together towards a common goal. So when you work with or when partners work with, with clients from your observation, from your experience, where does the business development or the initiator of a deal best fit within an organization? Do you have any insights from that? Yeah, definitely. I believe that business development can be instrumental in reviewing and evaluating new business opportunities by especially analyzing and putting together insights, industry reports, and market information, which can lead to identifying potential new clients. Business development is, of course, central also in outlining a firm's growth opportunities, leading, for instance, to expansion, new partnerships, and new connections. So it works directly with the deal teams, management, and everyone else within the firm to explore and leverage these opportunities. You mentioned earlier, Marco, the trend towards the ESG. How does that fit so within mergers and acquisitions? It's not something new in absolute terms. We have been there. Maybe it has taken a different shape. Can we follow the 17 goals at the same time? How does that tie in into into mergers and acquisitions? Where does it fit? Well, we see that the ESG factors are getting more and more relevant in various phases of the whole M&A process, such as the selection of targets, company valuations, or assessment of a deal's risk. It's becoming evident that ESG is increasingly recognized as a key factor in long-term value creation. 
And therefore, risks and opportunities coming from ESG factors are becoming critical priorities for companies, boards, and managers. We also see that investors are aligning their priorities to such rising requirements. For instance, a company's ESG policies and strategies and they adapt their expectations accordingly, of course, also in light of new legal requirements around uh, ESG compliance. So it looks pretty clear to me that ESG is more and more intertwined into the M&A transactions process. For whom is sustainability important? If it is important separately, is it the business itself to ensure sustainability as a business and and long-term existence? Is it the investors who say, well, we do need to push our companies or the companies in which we invest as into a new direction because we believe that's the only way to, to survive? Is it employees who say, well, I want to work for a company or I want to go somewhere, to be somewhere where I feel confident? How does that balance out? Well, Lou, I think that it impacts all the stakeholders and everyone within an organization. So, as I mentioned before, ESG is becoming more and more critical in long-term value creation. And as such, directors, boards, and managers have to reconsider their duties with respect to ESG initiatives that should be implemented within their companies, for instance. Also, the impact of such initiatives, strategies, standards, and so on will have to be measurable, um, as it seems clear that this will eventually influence the company's overall value. For all these reasons, companies seem to be making changes to effectively respond to such requirements. And all the stakeholders look now at ESG factors with much attention. When we talk about the ESG, so we have the 17, do you see one or more being? more relevant than others? Well, first of all, I think for a firm, for a company, it's quite hard to address all the 17 UN Sustainable Development Goals. But I think that the environmental criteria, so the E in ESG, plays the dominant role in this context currently, simply because I believe that well-managed companies, which focus very much on preserving and protecting the environment and on motivating the spread of the same mindset throughout their whole supply chain, can potentially benefit from higher valuations and multiples applied in the case of a potential deal. But ultimately, all criteria in ESG are important and should be integrated within a company's strategy. How do you see the difference between the sectors? We can assume that some sectors are more sensitive to sustainability than others. Is that true? Or is basically everybody trying to do something and some can move faster or differently than others? How do you see that? Is there any sectoral difference? Well, I would say that deal makers can find particular sensitivity in terms of ESG in the energy sector, which is also seeing increasing pressure by investors and regulators on companies to reduce their emissions. There have been recent cases of large conglomerates divesting part of their assets, which were particularly impacting on their overall carbon footprint, for instance, as part of their pivot to renewables. And other cases of uh, companies acquiring other businesses focusing on climate change solutions. It is expectable, in my opinion, that the rising interest among private equity and other investors in both renewables and in assets being divested by some traditional energy producers, that this will continue to fuel further investments in the energy sector. So where do you see the trend going? So will there be more ESG? Will there be more thinking of sustainability? Or how will it be different tomorrow than today? Where do you expect this to go? Because we can keep talking about it. We can say, okay, this is how it works. 
But where should it go? Where do you see it go? Well, personally, I think it's an upward trend. So I think that ESG will have more and more impact on the valuation of companies and that more and more companies of any size actually will continue adopting more and more ESG trends and ESG factors within their own organizations just to address this continuous demand. So should I pay more to be sustainable or should that become a norm? So if I want to sell a sustainable company, can I get a premium? That's one way. And the other way around, if I want to buy something, can I make a discount where I say, you're not sustainable enough or I'd pay for something? So how do you see that? Well, in terms of buying decisions, for instance, we need to keep in mind that in the past couple of years, new records were hit in terms of ESG investments with Consequently, also raise new focus on regulatory factors. So topics such as sustainability, climate change, CSR, DNI are now seen as central by the investors, but also by regulators, which, of course, must be considered when evaluating making an acquisition. So in that respect, I think that we can expect to see SG factors influencing more and more the buying decision. And in terms of the ESG premium concept that you mentioned, it's very interesting one and I can buy that more and more. So um, I think that the deal value of a transaction can be dramatically influenced by ESG criteria, especially in the current market and in light of the recent trends that we've mentioned today. This both from the buyer side and from the seller's side. I hear more and more often about the concept of ESG premium that you just mentioned, which is considered to be directly impacting the, the diligence process in the m transactions. So we come again here to the point of finding the right expert to advise on transactions, as they, of course, play a fundamental role in making sure that the price is appropriately set. And of course, they keep in mind multiple factors, including ESG factors. I think it's clear that the impact of ESG on M&A is still to be fully seen, particularly as companies, investors, and stakeholders, as well as regulators, actually continue to assess and revise the priorities related thereto. That's an interesting one. Interesting one to take that one forward. I do ask that question to my guests and, and try to find out. In one of the, the aspects, in terms of sustainability, It has to fit somehow, nevertheless, also with the corporate strategy or the growth strategy of the company and their leadership. So, so the company leadership that is in place, how important are they in pushing sustainability, in maintaining sustainability or, or accepting things or declining things? How do you see that? Well, I believe that leaders have the best position to promote the adoption of the ESG policies and strategies within a company. This because they can leverage their position to drive everyone within an organization towards a common purpose, which I think is instrumental in increasing a company's value, both to the market and to the people who are part of the organization. Everyone within a company can work together with the motivation to achieve a common purpose, as long as the leadership of the organization is able to make such purpose clear engaging and reachable. So um, I think the role of leadership within the ESG context, the context is paramount. Let me just raise one idea that I would want you to pick up here. We know from the financial world, the rating agencies that assess the financial credibility of, of companies. Earlier uh, this year, a Belgian financial newspaper looked at the leading 20 Belgian listed companies 
and compared the sustainability rating for those companies coming from the different rating agencies. And some of the companies had extreme positive or at the same time extreme negative ratings. So the evaluation from the sustainability ratings was not necessarily aligned and would leave the investors with very different impressions. Do you have any insights or experience or perception on that? Well, I agree that there is a lot of work to be done there because ESG ratings are a thing right now, but the problem that I see is that there is no common consistency of how these ESG rating systems are applied or where are they applied or how they are applied. Now, of course, if we consider large companies that might be considered by the vast majority of the population as uh, uh, big polluters, for instance, it kind of makes our eyebrows raise if we see them that they're ranked as top five or top 10 in uh, global rankings in terms of sustainability based on specific ESG factors. Now, of course, it depends very much on what companies are actually doing in that respect, because in the concept of sustainability, I believe personally that the larger companies, the large conglomerates are the ones that have the most power to actually implement and drive change within their own industry because they have the potential, they have the capital to do so, they have the visibility to motivate other similar companies in the same sector of smaller sizes, for instance, to actually adopt similar strategies, similar operations internally and externally to drive a whole industry towards change and towards a common purpose, which should be uh, addressing sustainability measures uh, from which the whole world would basically benefit. So it depends ultimately, in the case that I mentioned before, for instance, it it depends ultimately on actually seeing what a company is achieving through their uh, ESG policies, through their uh, sustainability policies, and making sure that these are actually solutions that have a positive impact on the whole industry and motivate other companies to do the same. In that case, of course, in terms of evaluating how effective these policies and strategies are on the actual value of the company, which is done by uh, rankings through ESG ratings, uh, this is something that is still um, kind of a gray area, I have to say, personally. But again, I think that the larger companies are the ones that have the largest power to implement effective change in an industry. Marco, I put down three things in, from our conversation. So the first one is, okay, there is a trend towards more increased and more complex sustainability. There is an intention or there is an opportunity, let's put it this way, for increasing the partnerships to getting expertise, know-how, to help managing this complexity, and that can come from a network or from those partners who do know how to manage a transaction. And the interesting one, which I keep also, is that from your experience, from your insights, you see the increasing impact of sustainability in a deal valuation. So positive, negative, but but you see an impact there. What would be your last piece of advice? in M&A for our auditors? What should they take home from this conversation? Well, there are 
again, different factors to consider in the evolution of ESG concepts within the M&A deal-making activities. So it has been a steady evolution, in my opinion, which is far yet to be close to its peak. Right now, I think that we find ourselves in a market where ESG factors are shaping the assessment of strategic fit, leading both acquirers and targets to try and capitalize on synergies that might come from companies with aligned ESG profiles, for instance. It's also important to note, in my opinion, that the position that companies promote in relation to their ESG strategies are seen as a strong indicator of their own culture and future growth prospects. So... There appears to be more and more capital available for transactions which show transparent ESG performance measurements and strategic outline. And I think that this is something that deal makers must keep into consideration in the current times. I think it's quite likely also that this will foster further ESG-oriented deal-making activities in the short and in the mid-term. Then there is also another little topic that we didn't touch today, but there have been many recent talks in the news to consider which discuss the so-called greenwashing bubble, for instance, especially around the case of ExxonMobil, which has recently been referred to as one of the 10 most sustainable companies in the world, making many eyebrows rise, uh, I have to say. And this was based on uh, ESG ratings that were applied. So this is seen as to show the, what they call madness, which is currently taking place in the financial sector around ESG. I think that the whole overview about these topics is yet to be explored. Certainly, ESG factors must be kept into consideration in the evaluation of uh, M&A opportunities and in deal-making activities. And all advisors, uh, whether they're M&A advisors or M&A lawyers or uh, anyone who's involved in a transaction, need to pay strong attention on these factors. So I would say that if we had some takeaways from this conversation, this could be a summary of it. Thank you for this conversation. It was, was a great pleasure to have you on board today. And I'm pretty sure that the topic of sustainability, we will be able to have this conversation again next year and see what has evolved and, and where the priorities have to be. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Marco. Thank you, Louis, for having me. It was a pleasure to be here and I look forward to the next episodes of your podcast. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Diplomacy. Please explore our website www.corporate-diplomat.com or our LinkedIn page. I hope you have enjoyed. Feel free to subscribe and hit the follow button. Have a great day.